0: Warning. The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. S O N D H E I M. What? um l-u-p-o-n-e why are you spelling things m-a-c-b-e-t whoa
1: whoa 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 even if you're spelling it you shouldn't say it this close to a theater oh i get it we're seeing a show about spelling But what's with you doing all the spelling that's their job
0: i just want to be ready in case i get picked to be one of the spellers
1: Wait, what are you talking about?
0: They always pick a couple of audience members to compete with the actors in the show. I want to be ready in case they pick me.
1: Okay, that's fair. But if they pick you, I'm sure they're going to ask you more to spell more than famous Broadway people. You're
0: right. S u p e All right, all right, all right, all
1: right. We're here, you can stop now. Let's go in, and here's hoping that all the practice pays off.
0: Here's hoping.
1: and welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez.
0: Today, we are going to be discussing the fun and hilarious show, the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee.
1: So hurry and take your seats, it looks like the bee... I mean,
0: the show is starting. Let us now take you back to the year 2005. February 7th, 2005, to be exact. This is where the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee would first make its off-Broadway debut at Second Stage Theater.
1: Armed with music and lyrics by William Finn and a book by Rachel Shinkin, the show, which was also conceived by Rebecca Feldman with Jay Reese, would become a huge success.
0: The show consisted of a fantastic design crew, Sets by Beowulf Borrit, Lights by Natasha Katz, Sound by Dan Moses Schreier, Costumes by Jennifer Caprio, and Hair by Marty Kopolsky. To
1: round out the creative team, choreographer Dan Connectus and director James Lapine would come aboard. The team would help usher the show from the Second Stage Theater to Broadway at the Circle in the Square Theater, where it would open on April 15, 2005.
0: While there, the show would entertain audiences for 1,136 performances, closing on January 20th, 2008.
1: The origins of the show are as fun as the show itself. The musical was based upon C-R-E-P-U-S-C-U-L-E, an original improvisational play created by Rebecca Feldman and performed by The Farm, a New York-based improv comedy troupe.
0: Sarah Salzberg, who is the weekend nanny for the playwright Wendy Wasserstein, was in the original production. Wasserstein recommended that Finn see the show. Finn brought Schenken on board and they worked together with Feldman to transform it into a scripted full-length musical.
1: In 2005, the show would receive six Tony nominations and later go on to successfully spell away with two one for Best Book, and one for Best Featured Actor, Dan Fogel. The cast album was nominated for a Grammy Award as well for Best Musical Theater Album.
0: The show has one more interesting piece to note before we dive into the story itself. It contains audience interaction. Four members of the audience are selected each show to compete alongside the actors every performance.
1: So, with that, let's delve into the S-H-O-W.
0: The musical begins with Rona Lisa Peretti entering a gymnasium to set up for the spelling bee. While adjusting a microphone, she has a flashback moment to when she won the third annual spelling bee by correctly spelling SYZYGY. S-Y-Z-Y-G-Y. SYZYGY.
1: The spellers begin to enter, being introduced while they sing about their anticipation to compete. Ms. Peretti welcomes the audience and calls for four audience members to participate in the B on stage.
0: She also speaks privately to Olive Ostrovsky, who hasn't paid her entrance fee of $25. She is asked if she has a parent in the audience who can pay, and she reveals that she has arrived all by herself on bus. Ms. Peretti decides that for the time being, she will let the fee slide.
1: Ms. Peretti introduces the official word pronouncer, douglas ponch who has returned from a five-year hiatus ponch alludes to an incident that took place five years ago but explains that he's in a much better place now ponch introduces the comfort counselor an appealingly intimidating looking man named mitch mahoney mahoney is providing his services as a part of his court mandated community service Mahoney leads the spellers in the Pledge of Allegiance. Ponch explains the rules, and the spelling bee begins. As each of the non-audience member speakers are called forward, the audience learns a little bit more about his or her background. As each of the characters come forward, we hear their stories, and the other cast members play the people in their
0: lives. Logan Schwartz and Grubinier is called up first, then Leif Coneybear. When he is called up for the first time, he has a flashback to his regional bee, where he came in third. He has advanced to county finals because the winner and the runner-up had to attend the winner's bat mitzvah. He is given the word capybara, which he has no clue how to spell, but then ends up spelling it correctly while in a trance.
1: When Olive's term comes up, uh, we are shown a shy and reserved girl. We see that this is a result of her absent parents. Her mother is on a spiritual journey in India, and her father is working late, as usual. We see her sing a song about her reliable friend,
0: the dictionary. An audience speller is called up and given an easy word. If they get it correct, the second audience speller uh, goes next. They are given a hard word with the intent to eliminate them. If the first speller gets the word wrong, then the second is given an easy word or not called up.
1: Next to the microphone is William Barfey.
0: It's pronounced Barfey. There's an accent Agu.
1: Right. So William Barfay. Ms. Peretti describes his unusual technique when spelling. He spells the word out on the ground with his foot to get a visual before speaking it. He has so much confidence in being correct that he takes his seat as soon as he has finished spelling. When Ponch confirms that the spelling is incorrect or is correct, Barfay responds
0: I know. (laughs) The third audience speller is given an easy word, which the spellers complain about. After several rounds, another particularly easy word is given to the final audience speller. The spellers erupt and rant about how unfair things are while singing the song Pandemonium.
1: Logan gets cystitis for her word and we flash back to her studying with her two fathers who are often arguing
0: right afterwards leaf is called up and given the word a which he admits he doesn't know how to spell <laughs> in a monologue to the audience he then recounts to the audience how his family calls him dumb which he has begun to believe about himself he enters a trance and spells the word correctly again
1: barfay is up again and sings to the audience about his magic foot (laughs) he takes immense pride in his foot ability and gives it the most or well gives it all the credit for being right all the time
0: marcy takes her uh takes her next turn and correctly spells oh quondam an extremely difficult word (laughs) proving herself to be the best speller while she is before us, Ms. Peretti gives us commentary that Marcy is all business, which surprises and hurts Marcy.
1: Chip Tolentino is next, but not paying attention. He is instead fantasizing about Leif's attractive sister, Marigold, whom is sitting in the audience. He has finally snapped out of his days, but is reluctant to take his turn because, well, he has an erection that is showing. Under threat of disqualification, he takes his turn. But he lets his thoughts distract him, and it causes him to m- spell the word wrong. This probably wasn't helped by the vaguely erotic word that he was given.
0: Tit up. He catches his mistake quickly and backs up trying to save himself. But the rules of the B state that the sequences, the sequences of the letters already spoken may not be changed. He begs for another chance when Mitch Mahoney hauls him off.
1: At this point, the last of the audience spellers are eliminated. (laughs) This is done by repeatedly calling on the audience member, giving them harder and harder words until they fail. Mitch sings a special serenade to this audience member for making it that far.
0: All the remaining spellers, except for Chip, and the adults go on break. Chip passes through the audience selling snacks, his punishment for being the first eliminated. He explains to the audience why he lost, which is his unfortunate erection.
1: Barfay taunts Chip, who throws a bag of peanut M&Ms in response at him. Barfay is scared because he's allergic to peanuts, so Olive picks him up for him. Chip and Barfay continue to fight until Ms. Peretti escorts Chip off stage. Olive and Barfay continue to speak awkwardly before the second half of the B begins, and William Barfay begins to develop a crush on Olive.
0: The break is over, and Ms. Peretti introduces the finalists as they re-enter. The last to be introduced is Logan, who describes her two overbearing fathers and the stress that they put her through in her monologue song, Woe is Me.
1: In a montage sequence afterwards, the bee is shown progressing through many, many, many rounds, ending with Leaf's elimination on the word chinchilla. He walks away with his head held up high because he has proven to himself that he is, in fact, smart.
0: Marcy is called to spell, and Ms. Peretti, who has been giving the audience factoids about the spellers, reveals that Marcy speaks five languages. Marcy tells us about her stressful life, where she is pushed to succeed in everything, but does not enjoy it. She is given the word, camouflage, to which she sighs, Dear Jesus, can't you come up with a harder word than that?
1: Jesus then appears to her, and teaches her that she is in control of her own life. She is resolved to do what she wants to do, rather than what is expected of her, and intentionally misspells the word and exits excitedly.
0: Just then olive's cell phone rings and it's her father calling she has been anxiously hoping he would arrive ponch tries to keep olive from answering the phone so olive convinces miss peretti to take the call for her logan begins
1: an ad-lib rant about the spelling bee her father's and of course current political events ponch is provoked and upset that he has lost control of the bee He completely loses his temper and lashes out at Logan. Mitch and Ms. Ms. Peretti escort him off the stage.
0: One of Logan's fathers races on the stage to calm Logan down. While there, he pours some of his soda on the floor to make Barfay's foot stick and help his daughter win. Logan begs him not to do this, but he does it anyway.
1: Ponch has calmed down and it's Olive's turn to spell. She asks what her father had said. And is saddened to learn that he is running, even later than planned. The word she is given is, chimerical, and the word, and mirroring the word's definition, she imagines her parents, sitting there and giving her all the love that she has ever wanted, all while also showing us the problems with her family.
0: Barfay is called to spell next, and when he goes to use his signature technique, his foot sticks. Much to his surprise, he is able to spell the word correctly without his foot. It's Logan's turn next. She overcomplicates her word, VUG, and misspells it. Ms. Peretti is so excited and announces that we are down to the final two.
1: There is another montage that shows the final rounds. Olive and Barfay grow even closer. Eventually, it is Olive who misspells a word, ELINGUESCENCE. Barfay is given a chance to win by spelling his next word correctly. He is torn between winning and letting Olive win, but with Olive's encouragement, he spells his word correctly.
0: Ponch awards William Morris Barfay with a trophy and a $200 prize. In a surprise act of charity, he also gives Olive a fictitious runner-up prize of $25 from his wallet, which just happens to be the amount needed to cover her entrance fee.
1: Olive congratulates and hugs Barfay. Each of the characters read their epilogues with a sentence or two about what they do in the years and decades to come after the play ends.
0: And that's the story of the spelling bee.
1: Not just any spelling bee, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee.
0: Now, let us discuss the show. And what a fun show this is to discuss. <laughs> it really is. It's a hoot. It's a holler.
1: I mean, you can't get any more entertaining than adults playing children.
0: I mean, that that is very true. Um, I think the beauty that lies in the show really is in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I dare say in its innocence... Um, You know, I've always had the running joke about, you know, when I have kids uh, or even my goddaughter right now, I hope that they're the kind of, you know, kids that come home from class when they're like in the third or fourth grade with a note that says, you know, your kid said a bad word at school. And I'm like, but did they use it in the correct context? (laughs) Like, I I don't give a damn if they said a bad word, but did they use it correctly? You know, not like, you know, go, damn, go, you know. I wanted to hear, "Give me the damn ruler," you know, something like that. I'd be like, "Yeah, good for you." Good. So it kind of shatters that innocence the way these characters talk, and you're like, "No, but I've heard 9, 10, 11 ten, eleven-year-olds talk this way and deal with these issues." And yeah, that's pretty spot on. You know, these kid, th- these these characters weren't made to be older than they are, so they have that little bit of innocence to them. But at the same time, there there's just so much awkward humor that exists. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, and I think one of my favorite ways just to kind of kickstart it um, is the costumes. The costumes help play into that innocence. They really play into, you know, we have these adults looking like children. I mean, Chip is in a scout uniform. Because, yep. of course, you know that Chip thinks that that's the nicest thing uh, that he, he comes, owns. He
0: comes in with the American flag. Yeah. And he posts it. Uh, Leaf Coney Bear has, um, he has a cape. Mm-hmm. William Barfay is in a bow tie with his glasses and pocket protector. They look, swear to God, these kids look like Nicktoon characters from the nineties.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what they look like. Like characters directly out of Hey Arnold. Yes. You know, and it, but it's again, it's simple, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you know exactly who I, I wouldn't say like there's necessarily lead characters cause they all kind of, but you know exactly who you should be paying attention to because i out of all the boys, William Barfay has the most simple but eye-catching costume. And then Always. Olive Ostrowski has the most simple but eye-catching costume with those pink overalls.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and what I just really love is like they didn't overdo the um, silhouettes of the adults to try to make them look like kids. Like they were just adults wearing kid-looking clothing. Like I don't yep. know if that makes any sense.
0: It's very also Charlie Brown Peanuts kind of thing. Um, and and along with the costumes, I'll say the hair, was was just right. Like y- y- the the way you would think these kids' personalities are, every little bit matched them. William Barfe, you know, he looks like a nerd, but he totally has that super greasy looking hair. He tried to comb it, but it doesn't matter. He can't it can't be tamed. He's in that weird place where he's in between puberty, you know, and his body's just like I don't know how I feel. So you're just gonna look like a hot mess, and then you got chip that's like military precision, all everything's in place. And Leaf Coney Bear looks like he probably rolled out of the car. Like they picked him up out of the bed and put him in the car, and he then he prob- rolled out of the car, and mm-hmm. that's
1: and he probably has a stucker suck- stuck somewhere to his pants, and he's probably gonna eat it as a snack. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That you know, and then
0: meanwhile, <laughs> like on the on the girls' side, you know, Olive Ostrowski's got these perfect little pigtails. No, not olive. Um oh well Oh no, she doesn't have the pig t- I thought her hair was a. Uh, no, that's
1: a that's
0: Logan. Logan's got the perfect braid. Logan looks like the kind of woman that's gonna take on like she looks almost like that that is a third wave feminist kind of thing. Yes,
1: she looks like Eden Hoops from Lately Blonde. Yes. before she grows up and goes to Harvard. Marcy Park
0: <laughs> is definitely like the female version of Chip Tolentino. Like you could set your watch for her entire look. And then Olive just kind of looks like... Well, she looks like she got herself dressed. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But she looks more... Olive looks like the most mature person on the stage. Because she's Probably because she is. Yeah, she had to raise herself. Which I think leads us then to the plot and the story. Like, how do we feel about that? And I think the story... Excuse me. um, When I first heard about this show... I mean, I heard the title. I was like, really a show about a spelling bee? Like... I'm all about new subject matter, but we're reaching this. I mean, who out there, who among us hasn't been in a spelling bee? Now, now, truth be told, I'll say this. I did a spelling bee where I grew up in New Mexico, but when I moved here to Utah, we didn't do a spelling bee when I was in Utah. We did a geography bee, which I thought... Okay. Oh
1: no! See, I am terrible at spelling, but I won my
0: geography bee. I mean, God bless, but <laughs> I was all about the spelling bee. So we all can relate to this, and we all know this pressure. And and there's all there's a character out there that we all relate to. We all were that kid at one point. And I was like, okay, it's not about the bee. Mm-hmm. The spelling bee is not the thing that's important. It's totally about these characters, these individuals.
1: Well, it's about these kids and how you know from a young age you get this pressure to be an adult put on you. Um, so, I just think that that's. I mean, is it the kids being competitive or are the kids being
0: competitive because they're parents? Well, and I think it shows the truly competitive nature of kids. Yeah, you know, I think that's something that needs to be to to be mentioned. I mean, look, kids are definitely com- competitive by nature, but you know, I don't. I I mean, I I knew that I was ridiculously. I know you are ridiculously competitive, but I also know a lot of people that were like, eh, "I yeah. just don't care." And you know, I I hated being a part of those kind of people because I was like, "Hey, you! I want you to care because I want to kick your butt." You know, right?
1: Um, well, but, and-,
0: and I I just want to mention that it's it's also that small town competitiveness when it's not like I felt like when I where I lived because I I grew up in a small town in New Mexico. It was extra competitive because everybody knew everybody and so it was a big deal. And then I moved up here it was like, you know, who who really gives a damn? Congratulations. You wanna Right. Like
1: for me, I was competitive with the people at my school, but that was it until I got into high school. It you're, wasn't yeah, yeah it you're wasn't small
0: fish in a big pond.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I definitely want us to talk about is the
0: set. It's so okay. Well, because they it's did so the show clever. in the
1: round at the uh, circular well, square. Well, they did it in
0: the thrust.
1: Okay, yeah, that's fair. They did do it in the thrust. It was it was
0: in the it was in the thrust three quarters, um, but it was. I remember walking in and um, it it was like walking into like an old nineties gym.
1: Well, and what I love is just naturally at the Circle in the Square, you go down to the the lowest level to use the restrooms and there are lockers down there.
0: Right, cuz it's just it's a school as well. Yeah. But like you walked in and they had the the like gym floor, they had basketball hoops that Did were Did they like, have
1: a trophy case?
0: Uh, they had a trophy case in the lobby, <laughs> but they had like you know the you know the basketball hoops that um you could, like, wind down or whatever in your gym. They had those wound up over the audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, they had banners hung up and everything. This thing looked like, you know, if you grew up in a smaller sized town, the gym was used for you know, a ton of things, not just basketball games or whatnot.
1: That's also where the stage was. That's where. Uh, exactly. And
0: uh, if you've ever watched a Hallmark film, a Christmas film, you know, we're putting on the pageant in the gym where they're having the basketball game and then they have the hockey competition right after we have pageant practice mm-hmm. and we've got to save Christmas. Oh, Hallmark. Um, You know, that's exactly what this looked like. And it was so freaking clever, though. And I was like i don't feel and it didn't feel like a big theater like when you find out how big the circle in the square theater is which i mean it is one of the smaller theaters on broadway but like it didn't feel you know a, almost a thousand seat theater it did not feel that big so kudos to the set designer for that um also it it brings me to the props i mean there weren't a ton of props in it but the best part about the props were they were inside jokes they They were the jokes of the show I, well, I guess not inside jokes, but they were the jokes of the show. you had the candy that chip Tolentino had to sell mm-hmm. um Mitch Mahoney is like you know he's the comfort counselor. he's like, okay, his community service he's on probation, y'all he got, he did a crime, and this is his community service so which why they
1: let him around children I mean small
0: town, but it, it's <laughs> it was hilarious, but you know basically what he was there to do is escort them off and he's like there'll be no whining there'll be no fussing and you get a juice box <laughs> everyone got a juice box everyone got and like that was like the running joke like even though you you know you lost you still got a juice box and that made you feel better and i was like man how many of us now that we've gotten older like that's the solution a kid's upset here's a juice box shh be quiet
1: mm-hmm. you know Especially if you don't, well, especially coming from the fact that like Mitch Mahoney is not one of those guys that obviously is probably, you know, has a lot of experience with kids. So how many of us who don't have experience with kids would be like, I don't know, they're crying. Here's a juice, right. juice. take the juice. It'll make you stop crying, right?
0: So it was really, really, re- I-, I thought the props, those symbol were really clever in that sense. Um, as far, I mean, while well, we're just checking the list of, of design stuff, the sound, what I, the, the one thing I'll say about the sound that was clever is again, given going back to that intimate feel of the show, obviously everybody was miked, but it didn't sound miked. Um, I couldn't, I really, I didn't remember being like, oh yeah, there, you know. Their voice sounded amplified, or I could tell that they were having a really intimate moment, but their voice... No, the only time I could tell somebody was using a mic was when Ms. Peretti or Mr. Punch or the Spellers walked up to the their mics on their desk or the actual mic, and they would speak into it, and obviously that was probably an effect. But then you were like, oh, that sounds like a microphone. Other than that, I was like, it just... I sound like we're having a conversation right here in this little tiny multi-purpose room.
1: Right. Like it's almost like you feel like you're right next to them. Yeah. Like when Olive and William Barfay are having their little talk, getting to know each other, you feel like you're sitting on the bench right next to them.
0: Exactly. And and I that leads to direction. I think it was super clever. It's super fantastic. What I think this, what I love about the show, and I think that, that this is almost a masterclass in improv, mm-hmm. in that, Right from the get-go, we get the backstory in one number. Every we, we meet everyone, we hear their backstory, ready go, and we're off to the races. Which
1: lets us get to know the characters like throughout their journey, rather than have to learn about their background as we go.
0: Yeah, we're not hitting the end of Act 1, we're being like, oh, now that I know everything about them. From the get-go, we know everything about them, and we're seeing them develop through act one and we're seeing these relationships create. And so it's like, I don't really care about your past. I'm more invested in what's happening in the present, which is brilliant. Um, and then it allows you to kind of pick someone that you want to be rooting for. And that was also really fun is you found the character you really wanted to be rooting for. And then if your person got eliminated, you were like, Oh no, you know, the other thing is, you know, the direction help explore, uh, help help helped us indulge in the exploration of, of parentals and the outside pressure of that, you know, and explore uh, pubescent pressure, you know, these kids are dealing with love and friendship and individuality, you know, and putting that on the stage. And we're talking about that and, well, and, and, and it, not in that awkward like...
1: No, but it's something that we all can relate to because whether you're going through it right then and there when you're seeing the show mm-hmm. or you remember what it was like being in that and how many of us felt like our entire puberty was put on stage for someone else to see. Like, that's how I felt walking into high school. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone can see all of my awkward moments. Everyone can see all the changes that I'm going through and, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. Why is this happening to me? But then when you get on the other side of it, you realize, oh, I guess everyone felt like that.
0: Right, and I'm trying to, in my mind, quickly, on the spot, think of a show that kind of took all the main ideas or or different versions of puberty, if you will, or those awkward moments, and characterized them and Mm -hmm. celebrated them.
1: You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? A
0: theater show, and I can't really think of one. And that's this one. We're not shying away from it. We're not making it be like, oh, see, uh, this is awkward. And uh, we're kind of embracing it, being like, it's okay that you were. Your parents are hard on you. It's okay that your parents were removed. It's okay that you were the smart. It's not okay that your
1: parents call you dumb. I will. I won't agree with the coney bears on that one. No, no, but like, it's okay (laughs) that you're
0: different from your family. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. You know, it's okay that your parents were overbearing. Like.
1: Mm -hmm. All these
0: things, you're going to be okay. And and
1: just because your parents are absent doesn't mean that you don't have the right to happiness.
0: Absolutely. I think that's the most important thing to come out of the show is parents don't always have it right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes, it's really important to listen to the kids because at the end of the day, the end goal, i.e. winning, not always what's best And we shouldn't live in our former glory days, which every, you know, the person that the through line, the connecting point of this, Rona Peretti, she's living in her glory days of winning that third annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. She's still in this town and that's like her crown jewel. That's the best thing she's ever done. And it's like, see, hmm, maybe, just maybe we should.
1: We're more than just what we think we achieve in front of other people.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So as always, we want to mention a couple of fun facts about the show at this point. Um, Some notable cast members in the show include Dan Fogler, who played William Barfay, Lisa Howard, who played Rona Peretti, Derek Baskin, who played Mitch Mahoney, Celia Keenan-Bolger, who played Olive Ostrowski, and Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who played Leaf Coney Coneybear. It's worth mentioning that Derek Baskin was most recently in Ain't Too Proud, where he was Tony nominated. And Celia Keenan-Bolger, uh, most recently, uh, was in To Kill a Mockingbird, where she won the Tony Award. And she'll be back when it reopens, so I just wanted to mention that while we're at it.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Josh Gad uh, made a performance as William Barfay. Mo Rocca... Uh, played Douglas Ponch, and Daryl Hammond uh, also played uh, Douglas Ponch.
0: Two interesting people. I would have loved to have seen those two, Mo Rocca and Daryl Hammond. I just, Mo Rocca especially. Cause... Listen,
1: I am just such a huge Mo fan. That's when I realized that I was an adult, was when I was like, oh, that's Mo I love him. Right.
0: <laughs> I, I've never seen something Mo Rocca has done that I haven't liked, and I'm like, I'm sure he can... hammed that up to the nth degree. And I could just...
1: You know, when I listen to the album, I picture Mo Rocca in that ah, spot. He's
0: so. <laughs> he's the old, like he's an old soul that I could totally bond with. And I support him in everything he does. Um, y- you know, he, he's got his obituaries. He's got my grandmother's ravioli. Um, and by the way, if you don't listen to him on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh my gosh. You're missing the best part of your life because he's absolutely hilarious. So I wish we could have seen him in this show. It's also worth mentioning, speaking of fun performances, at their Tony Award performance, they had the Reverend Al Sharpton represent their audience member, uh, who competed with the cast. He performed and failed in terrible fashion to the high praise and applause of the audience, um... YouTube that it's absolutely hilarious. This is how they were able to like recreate that whole experience. And you got to see, um, you know, the comfort counselor come out and give him a, a juice box and everything. <laughs> and I just, I look back, you know, this was 2005. So this was a year after the uh, an election year. And I think Al Sharpton might've run for president. And so it was just like, I'm glad these people had have a sense of humor to bring him in on that. So
1: right, well, and a fun fact that I was reading on Playbill dot com is that in April of 2021, Disney announced plans to develop a film adaptation of the musical, um, to be produced by Dan Lin and Jonathan Elrich.
0: Sure. I, as long as they do it similar to how Hamilton did it, shoot it live in the theater. Don't <laughs> don't do the weird sound stage.
1: I mean, I. If they're going to film it like an actual like spelling bee, I just hope they they get it right and don't try to pull a cats.
0: I didn't. I didn't see cats. That's. I, I'm gonna be. Full I mean. On on that. I didn't, I'm yeah.
1: Kidding. I. You have to commit to the setup of the show where the audience suspends their disbelief. Their disbelief because if we're actually going to watch kids in a spelling bee, I just don't know if I want to see that.
0: Yeah. Well, I just. I'm also. I'm the guy that's like. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. PBS has got the sound, three cameras in a theater, and go. So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Woo! Um, Look, the theatrical impact. Um, We need to mention, I don't think we said his name enough, but William Finn. This was another hit musical for William Finn. He already had one with um, Falsettos, which I think a lot of people now know about thanks to um, the revival that Mm -hmm. starred um, Andrew Reynolds and Christian Borrell. And of course, Tony winner, Stephanie J. Block. Uh Can we get an amen? Uh, you know, so I think this there's another great um, just hit for him. You know his music. When you hear his music, like when you hear the music, you automatically know it's him. He has a style. So I think this is another big hit for him. Um, well, I think it also gave
1: us another opportunity to discuss, you know, darker themes in a comedic way. Um, you know, kind of like what that's kind of what the theme of this era has been like. Let's laugh at darkness. Yeah, and I mean... There's truth in
0: comedy. Yeah, exactly. And and every time kids have been on the stage, it's kind of like kids are happy, go lucky, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's not that kids aren't happy, but at the same time, it's like...
1: Kids are going through it, too, just like adults. I mean, maybe not in the same way, but they're going
0: through it emotionally. Well, there's yeah, there's just... it's It's not easy being a kid. It's not... I mean, I'm not saying it's also not super hard, but, I mean, they have their struggles, too, And I think we somewhere along the line, we forget that. And this show was like, we need to validate
1: them. Yeah. And that's what the show did is it, it validated the issues that that, you know, we all went through when we were younger. We all had issues we went through and it just kind of validated those feelings and helped remind us adults that, you know, hey, maybe go easy on the kiddos every once in a while.
0: As far as societal impact, um, I think this was another fun time for audiences and another fun and new experience for audience members to get involved. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call this a high art show. Um, I'm not saying the show is not art at all. What I'm saying is, you know, this is the show you take Uncle Billy and Aunt Tammy from from the Jersey suburbs who don't really go out to theater that much. And you're like, you want to go have a good time? That isn't a jukebox musical. Here's a show that you can come to, understand, relate to, and have fun.
1: Right. You it's know. not super avant garde and out it's there. It's not
0: carousel. It's not. It's not, not, of it's the not opera.
1: American Idiot. It's you know, it's something that's going to resonate with all people in some shape.
0: Yeah. When I like
1: even if even I feel like even my dad would enjoy this show, and he's not the biggest musical lover.
0: When I when I'm introducing people to, to musicals and they're they're not big musical buffs you know I could always go with the heavy hitters and be like well you're clearly gonna know this this and this but I'm like honestly I need to get you somewhere that you're gonna laugh because if I I, I mean if I could get you to feel that's gonna be great but I don't I don't know what's gonna connect with you you know I don't know what movie's gonna make you cry or what show but if I humor is kind of <laughs> universal if I can get you to laugh we're good because all of a sudden you're going to realize, yeah, I kind of like musicals. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, if we can get you to laugh at one. Don't worry. We'll get you to cry at one. This is a show I feel like people could go to and laugh. Mm-hmm. It's also a great show that reminds us of the innocence of youth. And yeah. We all could, you know, hey, mm-hmm. a show could do that.
1: Well, and I—I I don't know. I just I, this show has like a special place in my heart, just because this was one of the shows that when I was discovering that I was a theater kid, um, this show was very popular, and it—it it made me realize like that I could identify as a theater kid, even though
0: we welcome you. It's I okay. Know. You don't just have to do sports. One day, when we hit <laughs> episode like fifty or something. We will regale the tale. Of how Hope, my wife, (laughs) and I met, and how the tale goes. But long story short, you didn't just have to be an athlete. The theater world is very... We have softball teams. Just so you know.
1: I know. I we know need to I'm get very you on excited Broadway about so that. You, if
0: anything, hey, someone's going to hire you just because you play listen, softball. Listen, I'm an
1: excellent softball player. Someone pick me up on your team, Hamilton, please. if
0: you need a good softball player, we're just saying.
1: I can, I can, I'm an excellent <laughs> hitter. I can throw the ball. I can catch the ball. I got this.
0: For me, and I want to throw this out there as another uh, societal impact, and I mentioned this in our last episode on the producers, it gave me... More characters that I could play. And again, I'm not your, you know, your leading man ingenue Tony from West Side Story, ripped, handsome. I'm your funny fat guy. You know, I'm and I'm, I'm not, and I'm fine with it. You don't need to. I send, love that
1: he's the funny fat guy. You, That's how he got me. You
0: don't need to send me the. Oh, it's okay. No, I'm completely content. I love having the one liners and the and the zingers. It's great, but. You know, it was nice to see more representation on stage. And the first thing I, I remember is um, Leaf Coney Bear, that song, I'm Not That Smart. That actually became my first well, my first professional, my first college audition song. Um, it cut me really far. It got me to my, my program, at my school I studied at. Um, and later on, as I got older, um, <laughs> you know, when, when, when the I'm Not That Smart phase kind of fell out, and I was looking for more material. I went, well, dance with the one that brought you. And I went back to the show and I said, you know, this Barfay character, I'm just saying, I I, I can play that character till the cows come home and my vocal teacher and whatnot. I was like, absolutely. And suddenly I was like, fantastic. I've got another character in my pocket. Let me just pull out the deck. And what a wonderful thing, you know? So most shows only can give one character to an actor. This shows birthed me too. You know, I don't think I'm ever going to play Chip Tolentino for a lot of reasons. But <laughs> I still got punched and I'm hoping I can't play that for a while.
1: Well, and I also really like there's a lot of diverse roles for um, women. I mean, there could be more, but...
0: there is. This is a show truly that can be colorblind casted. You, there, There's nothing that says a, a character has to be a certain nothing indicates race in the show, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so you could go any way with it. And I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would love.
1: Well, and that makes this show more accessible for more people to, to do
0: the show. This is going to bleed into is the show so relevant. So I want to hold onto this thought and talk about as the show so relevant. I think the show is fun and relatable. Not sure. The show is like how relevant it is for today's society. Now, where the show ranks, I think it's fun to do. I think the show is great in the repertoire of American theater and it serves a great purpose. I think it's more suitable now for, for regional professional theaters. I'm not sure that it fits with the scene on Broadway. Who th- knows, though?
1: I think it would be interesting to know, just because I'm out of touch with the younger generation, um, you know, how... Extreme exposure to social media and technology and constant exposure to each other would make this story different. Okay,
0: well now here's where I'm going with this. We're, we're, <laughs> on this, we're working on the same wavelength. I would love to see a revival of this and have it a little updated with like the idea of social media kind of being there and the ideas of that like cyberbullying and whatnot, but then also have all these outside things brought in where we have you know, characters of color and Mm. the things they bring in. You could really have, like, the character of Logan Schwartz and Grubinier be dealing with gender issues, struggling with gender identity, things like that. Or,
1: you know what also would be kind of fun, too, is the effects that a a generation of kids who grew up during COVID and had to deal with Zoom classrooms, like, a spelling bee,
0: like, through Zoom. That would also be an interesting one.
1: But I just feel like the social...
0: (laughs) The, the two kind of social things that they I mean also kind of three, but that they kind of broke the barrier on is you know we had the two dads,
1: mm-hmm. Logan's two
0: dads, we had kind of the distant parents for Olive. Mm-hmm. and then you had Jesus was uh, Jesus was black in the show. you know and so we're addressing that that that's kind of the only three I'll say social things that we address in that show. And I kind of feel like the show can lend itself to deal with more social issues without changing all the subject matter. And I, so maybe the show is a little more relevant than we think. So it'd be interesting to see What the right director and creative team could come up with for a revival because there's a lot of shows out there that, you know, they they did the first run and this was great and everything. I think of show's like Once on This Island or The Color Purple, but then when you bring in another director uh, Mm. and another creative team, all of a sudden it's the same material, but it's done in a whole new way and it's like, oh, I'm getting a totally different experience. Right, well, and
1: I think the other thing that would be really fun to do with this show, I mean, well... I feel like the reason why this show is so much fun and why it lends itself to being able to be updated like that is because it comes from an improv structure.
0: Absolutely. And so
1: by being able to, you know, have its roots in that, and there are still parts of the show that are improv'd, it lends itself to ebbing and flowing and changing with the current going on in society.
0: So I think it'd be fun.
1: Finally, as promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing this show.
0: So I've seen the show three times, once on Broadway in 2006, once on tour at Kingsbury Hall in Salt Lake City in 2008, and once at Pioneer Theatre Company in Salt Lake City in 2014. I've gotten to see the show twice, once on tour at Kingsbury Hall
1: in 2008 and once at Pioneer Theater in 2014.
0: So is this just me then today again?
1: Uh, uh, Yeah, I didn't. I haven't had much experience with the show on Broadway and my experiences uh, with the show is not on Broadway. I mean, I loved seeing it for the first time at Kingsbury Hall, but there wasn't anything really special that happened about it. And That's then fair. it was fun at Pioneer Theater to be able to be a part of some of the backstage stuff and like seeing, you know, the uh, PR photos. Because uh, you
0: dressed it, right?
1: I didn't dress the whole show, uh, but I did help or I crossed paths with um, the PR photos. I can't remember exactly because I was doing a lot of
0: different stuff at the time. That's fair. Well, then I guess, hey, listeners, you get the Andrew Show again. So. Here we go. The <laughs> um, First thing I'll say is I had the illustrious joy of getting to see Jesse Ty- Tyler Ferguson in the role of Leave Coney Bear. He was fantastic. Again, I was absolutely inspired after I saw this and I went, oh my gosh, this is, I, I want this song and I carried it with me. So we, we were at the show and as we had mentioned before, um, there's audience participation in this show and um, the show's going along, do, 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 the audience members are being eliminated, yada, yada, yada. But there's this fourth audience member and he is on fire. He is, the man is a human dictionary. And like we mentioned in the synopsis, um, you know, they're only supposed to be up there to a certain point. So this audience member will not misspell a word. So he, you know, gets his word, spells it right goes back and Ponch is the one that calls or Peretti calls the no, no. Ponch calls the contestant. Peretti gives some information about them. Ponch gives the word. So if I was the audience member, I'd spell the word D O G. Ponch. That is correct. goes back to the seat. Audience member four. And again, back to your improv thing. Um, they she'd have to make up more information about this person, Over and over. He kept getting the words right. He spelt like five words in a row right. Finally, on the sixth word, I don't think it was a real word. He gets the word and he goes, could I have the definition, please? And the actor playing Pontius goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) Can you use it in a sentence, please? Please spell. And he gives the (laughs) word.
1: I love it. Well, that's in the one we saw at Kingsbury Hall. um, The guy was going and going and wasn't going to get out. And so uh, Ponch goes, spell there. And they go. Oh, yeah. and
0: and, um, (laughs) And he goes, can you use it in a sentence? And he's like, there over there with there Ice cream. Uh-huh.
1: So that way, no matter which version of it he spelt, it was wrong.
0: And so, like, he's sitting there on the, the bell, and he's like, T-H-E. And, like, he leans over. I-bing! <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it was just hilarious. And and at one point, when the one I was seeing on Broadway, like, even the cast were, like, cheering this guy on. We're all getting, <laughs> like, riled up. And you could just see Peretti and punch me, like, no, this isn't how it's supposed to go. And I'm thinking the stage manager must be freaking out me, like, we got to throw something at it. We got to move the show along. Because um, if memory serves me right, there's no intermission. This is a straight through show. If I remember, I could be wrong. But... The last thing I remember about this show, my last story, is when we saw the show on Broadway, and I regret this, sort of, but because it was a school tour, my group, we were getting to have a talk back with the cast that night. Now, look, I look back, and I realize who was in the show, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should have stayed for the talk back. But no, no, young 17-year-old me was like, cute, this is a great show, thanks, bye, gotta go, because that was the night... Uh, for all of you who are caught up and listened to our last episode, this was the show that I left right after and went down six blocks to the St. James Theater to go meet Gary Beach, who was in The Producers. So unfortunately, I did not engage in the talk back with uh, Mr. Fogel and Mr. Tyler Ferguson, among others. Um, you know, choices. We all make them. But it was a phenomenal experience, and I don't regret any of it. As things begin to return to normal and the theater world starts to turn its lights back on, we look forward to returning to see the show again.
1: You'll be able to catch the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee at a regional or local theater near you, hopefully this fall.
0: We just want to mention as well that as things are opening up, we encourage all of you to support the arts, whether it be local, regional, or of course Broadway.
1: Now more than ever, it is time for us to raise up and foster the performing arts wherever it may exist
0: please join us in doing your part to help the arts uh return by supporting a live performance near you
1: we ourselves have already begun this work and we'll have a special announcement regarding this
0: to follow soon so until next time i'm andrew cortez and i'm hope bird reminding you to turn off your cell p-h-o-n-e-s Unwrap your C-A-N-D-I-E-S. And keep talking about the theater.
1: In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe.
0: You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod.
1: And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWisperPod at gmail.com.
0: Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by The Copy cuts, The Good Louds, Music for Wildlife, Uncle Bibby, and Billy Murray.